0: It's never been more important to tell stories that are enriched by the perspectives of wider audiences. But what does it actually take to bring that mission to the whole process alongside such epic creative mediums like virtual reality and beyond? We'll find out today. We've got a really incredible guest who's going to break it all down. I'm also joined by Palavi, who has a lot of expertise in this area, who will help us break down the concepts that we will be discussing. So Michaela, thank you so much for all of that knowledgeable information. I wish I had said to the listeners prior to starting (laughs) this podcast that they should bring a pad and bring a pen or they should take their time through this particular podcast episode because there is a lot of information that can help support their creative practice if they're looking to do a similar thing. And to that point, it would be incredible to get a very high level view from you about how Nisa, the reimagined anthology how do you look at delivering something at that scale to that quality?
1: Yeah. So obviously the first part of this is the development phase, right? Where Julie came to me and had this idea and she worked on a script. The um, Another part that I think everyone out there should learn is how to put together a pitch deck. You don't need to be a designer. You can use a, a tool like a Canva or Google Slides and just learn how to be able to showcase what it is you want to do with your piece, whether it's pulling concept art um, from a little bit of your own personal savings and asking someone, you know, if they could do just one or two quick designs for you, which we did for Nisa over the pandemic, um, or pulling some also inspiration images from Pinterest, which we also did. Um, and then and we put together sort of a, a working script for Nisa, but then a script outline for volume two and volume three. And at that point, we started the pitching phase, right, where we really started pitching the project around to different entities. And I mean, our first goal was always going to be meta, but we wanted to make sure that the pitch was clear. So we practiced it a few times on some people. We got feedback. And then we really found the people at Meta we needed to talk to. And that was a longer process of refining our pitch, refining our RFP for them, making sure RFP stands for um, request for proposal. So like really refining our proposal for them and then being able to get through the door and say, OK, we're funded, right? Like the moment that your project is funded is actually its own moment of victory and celebration, because I don't want to skip over that part. That is uh, it. That is in of itself a part of the process. It's not just the day you come in with funding. It's actually the the whole blood, sweat and tears that go in before you even get the funding. So we were lucky enough to get the funding. Um, and so once we had the funding, it really got down to starting again with looking at the script and really refining the script and looking. At it not just from a perspective of is this a good story, but also starting to break down the voiceover and every single line and every single action. Because when you're animating something, you really have to think about can we do this with our budget? Can we do this with our timeline? Can we do this X Y Z? Because it's not just about going out and shooting somebody on location. It's also about you know putting a character into space and and having them do something. And how many characters are in the space? And what are the designs? And what are the sets? And so really thinking about the script. Um, And then from there, going into concept art phase, which we did a little bit of, but we didn't do everything, right? Concept art is a great place to start for anyone who wants to use um, any sort of animation, any sort of um, texture, any sort of creative world. I highly recommend you start with a concept artist. Because whether you're working in 3D, which is Oculus Quill, where we make the characters modeled in 3D, or you're starting in traditional animation, concept art is a really great understanding for you as a director and everyone around you to know what kind of world you're building and what kind of characters you're building. So it was a really special moment when we really got to see Nisa come to life, when we really saw her for the first time in her finalized character art. Um, It was really cool to see the village for the first time when we had kind of a finalized concept art for that. The cave, the forest, all these environments that we have names for, but we never get to see with our own kind of like directorial directorial vision that julie had for it so once we finished concept art we went into the modeling phase. so we're not just working in 2d we're working in 3d so we had our animators and our quill artists go into headset go into Quill, and they started modeling every single part of the experience so they modeled all of the characters in 3d they modeled all of the environments in 3d And from there, we also did a layout storyboarding process, not traditional 2D storyboards, but actually like a VR storyboard. Cause in VR, um, just like in traditional film, you have something called a camera. And so a lot of the times in VR we started, we didn't move the camera a lot. We just had the camera in one stationary position and you looked around. But now with sort of the new emerging ideas around storytelling and VR, we're moving the camera a lot more. And so playing with camera movements, right? We're not just in a village in a static shop, but we're actually flying over the village and then going down into the village and making it feel really cinematic. And when Julia talks about it, she really talks about how she was inspired by the element of air and how Nisa was very much inspired by the element of air. And so in that way, the camera movement also is inspired by that element of air. And so you really see that in the camera movement and in the VR storyboards, we really started to lay out, which is called the layout phase, how you would move the camera from scene to scene. What were the transitions? How close are you to the characters while they're talking? Are you moving away from them? Are you moving to the side of them? And that's really what some of those rough VR storyboards and layout processes. And During the VR storyboards and layout process, you're not using the full 3D models. You're really using sticks and balls kind of to represent what these things are. You're just starting to get a sense of what they do, which is very similar to animated 2D storyboards. And then you start to merge those two processes together, just like you do in animation. You start to merge the final models. So those like fully rendered character designs of Nisa and Marmy, her mom, and of... um blue her friendly bat Um, you start to merge those models in with the finalized models of the village and the vinyl models of the the forest and the cave and then you start to lay in those camera movements and then basically what you start to put together is a finalized version of the film but one very key piece of that puzzle is animation style so a lot of people watch animation and they think it's all just one idea of animation but fluid disney-like animation is not the same as like a kubo and the two strings or like a nightmare before christmas which is more of a stop motion animation and there's also animation styles like anime where you have uh still picture moments that tell the story over voiceover and so you really have to start thinking now what your animation style is how fluid are your characters moving? Which character has this animation style versus maybe one character has a different animation style? Um, And so we do an animation test. And that is called what we do is we we take one scene and we flush it out all the way from beginning to end with the final models, the final environments and the final animation style. That way we know this is the world we're building 100%. And that's called a vertical slice. Um, and that vertical slice is also meant to be a technical test. Can we feasibly do exactly what we want with the characters with the environment with our animation style with our camera movement and not break the platform because what we also discovered was quill is a very tedious platform there's only so much data and information that quill can absorb that whole 10 minute 15 minute long film of nisa is only one gigabyte large because we're constantly optimizing the environment and the characters and the stroke over and over and over and over again, it's constantly being optimized. But sometimes when you over optimize, things start to break down character movement, uh, has weird flashes in it, environments start to flash as well Environment characters, feet start to fall inside of the environment, these little things that we don't think of, right, like gravity, and this like one platform is churning out all this information. So we really make sure that what we're trying to do is viable in the vertical slice. And then once we have a vertical slice, we apply all of the things we learned from the vertical slice to the rest of the film. We have our layout, we have our camera movements, we have our characters, we have our environments. And then from there, it's really just applying it to every single scene, our animation style. And animation is such an incredible process because you are literally having an artist move hand, eye, ear, hair, foot, just like you would do in traditional animation. And you're doing that in Quill, And it's all, again, hand-painted and hand-animated. So it's very much more similar to a, um, a stop-motion doll kind of film, like A Nightmare Before Christmas, where they're literally moving objects on a doll versus like a computer animated film, like a Pixar film, where they're moving the mouse and then animating through their mouse and through their keyboard. So it's a very hands-on textural idea. And they're all doing this because they have the power of virtual reality. So what's interesting about Quill is that it's not only a VR platform for artists, but it's a VR creation tool, then the audience will go into VR as well. And so there's this like seamless, like, almost from the beginning of the production process, you're inside VR, versus sometimes when you're working in Unreal or Unity engines, which are computer based engines, you're honestly working mainly from the computer and then jumping into VR to see what's going on. Versus, again, in Quill, you start purely in VR as soon as concept is done or even before concept is done in case you have someone wanting to do layout. So from there we have what's called your alpha build And one very important thing I haven't mentioned yet is audio. And that's because through this whole process, we're just doing all the visuals. So there's a whole nother process that's about casting the VO actors and having them sit down and doing their lines and making sure you have all the perfect VO lines for every single line in in the film. And there's a whole nother process where we have a score composer who comes in and scores the film for different emotional beats. Then there's a whole nother process where you have a sound designer come in and you start to sound design. But the reality is it's very hard to do score composition and sound design until you have a more completed visual aesthetic and a more completed camera aesthetic and a more completed animation style. And so really what we're doing is we're doing voiceover and sometimes voiceover changes because lines changes and, you know, the action changes. But you're really kind of in this weird little like chicken and egg game where you're like, okay, how much more can we do of this before we have to do this? Right. How much more of the visual style do we have to do before we can get composition in here? How much more of composition can we do before we need more visual style? So you're sort of balancing those on two very different ends of the spectrum until you have totally completed visual, which is called your alpha build. And then you have your alpha build, send to your composer, send that to your sound designer. And that's what they use as their final, final process to score, compose to every single emotional beat, to sound design to every single footstep. And then your voiceover gets laid in perfectly and your lip sync gets laid in perfectly during that process. So it's it's a very... um. It's very interesting because you pull one string and then three things need to happen too, And those three things need to happen as a team. And so for the NISA team, we actually had a pretty small team. It was Julie and I, director, producer, Um, Peter, who was our um, voiceover manager, our production manager. Um, He also worked a little bit on the sound design getting implemented. So that's called your final mix, your sound design mix, your score composition mix. Then we worked with a score composer and a sound designer. And then on our Quill team, we had one main art director. His name is Dan Frank. And then we had one or two animators help Dan with animation one. And those animators also did the modeling. And then we had one person who just specialized in environment. Um, And so the team itself was pretty small and lean. We also had um, a poster artist come in and really help us with the poster art and some of the aesthetics in the posters. And we also had three voiceover talents, someone to play Nisa, someone to play Marmy, and someone to play Blue, which is our friendly bat. Um, Everything else was pulled from like Animal Library or from like Sound Library. So it was a small but mighty team to put this together, because once you have your final alpha and your final mix, then there's the integration process. So you're integrating, integrating, integrating. And like I said before, the visual component is very tedious because you're not only looking at it during the vertical slice to say, will we break the machine? But you also have to leave a little bit of space. For your audio process. So as much as the visual team would love to take out the full gigabyte of space, they have to leave at least a couple, a couple of megabytes worth of space so that when sound design comes in, and so that when score composition comes in, they don't break the machine, which we found a very tedious process again, because that also meant we had to go through another round of optimizing, optimizing, optimizing poly 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 you'll you'll hear this a lot it's the poly count it's all about the poly count but audio and score also take up space so you know it's delicate, delicate game and a delicate, delicate balance, but just like when you create a a really perfect recipe when it's not too salty and it's not too sweet and you don't put in too much of any one ingredient, you come out with a perfectly kind of baked machine or a perfectly baked recipe or a perfectly baked experience and that's what Nisa is now. is now a perfectly little baked experience. It fits, it's optimized, it's one gigabart large, it can not only be showcased to the world through the Oculus Quill platform, it can also to be exported as a 360 film. And so that is the process of building and creating your own Nisa or your own Oculus Quill piece. Keeping in mind though, Nisa is 15 minutes long. So, it's not like we just went in and did like one small 30 second moment of a piece or a two minute moment of a piece. It is truly like a narrative story that has highs and lows and arcs and emotional beats and full score and full sound design and full voiceover. If you're an artist out there who's just looking to explore, please don't get intimidated. Just jump in a headset and start playing with. Um, oculus quill start playing with vr animation just start making something there's nothing wrong with starting somewhere there's nothing wrong for asking for help with from collaborators from online forums from slack from facebook groups from discords it's all about you just starting and you getting into the process of creating and from there the the bigger better opportunities or the bigger better budgets or the bigger better teams will come your way
2: Thorough. Thank you for all that information. From when you received the funding to when you completed, how long was that process? So everything that you've just told us about, how long did that take to create your 15-minute film?
1: Great question. So Julie and I were actually in development mode for a few years. We'd met in 2018 and we were working together in development 2018, 2019, 2020, the pandemic. And then in 2021, We received the funding from Meta, and now in 2022, about a year later, um, NISA released to the world, so it took about a year. We got the official green light from, from Meta in October of 2021, and NISA world premiered to Venice Film Festival at the end of August of 2022, so about less than a year of a timeline
2: that's amazing so a lot of the work is like in preparation so i guess when the time did come and the funding did come you were really ready and you really knew that you'd put in so much effort to this point to to kind of get this started and you had it all in your mind and yeah you were ready to go that's that's so great with the art So obviously you're working in a team of creatives and everyone's got their own opinions and like their creative juices. Did you find things changed a lot from the initial concept art? Because that was, of course, before the Quill animators came in. So did you find there was quite a big evolution or did it stick quite closely to what you had in mind originally? And I guess, of course, also with all your technical difficulties that you encountered, did that have a big impact on changing the piece? Tell us a bit about that if you can.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not the director, so I can't speak for the director, but I would say when when Julie was in her concept art phase, what I noticed was she was more in an exploratory phase of this look and the style of the overall world and a little less into this idea that it was one-to-one. Whatever was in the concept art was exactly what would be in in the finalized phase of the project itself. So I did notice that the NISA concept art For the um, for mainly the environments shifted and changed a little bit. That being said, though, like when we got into like really hardcore concept art for like Nisa, like solidifying what Nisa's look was, solidifying what Marmy her mom's look was, solidifying what the look of the monster would be, um, that all was very connected to what we actually produced in the film. And then certain moments that we created using concept art, like the village scene is very much like to this day it almost looks one-to-one versus um, some of the other aspects of what we created, like the cave scene, that definitely changed and and grew. And I don't think it changed because of technical limitation. I think it actually changed and adjusted because of what we could do in VR. You could really understand the scale and the colors that we were able to play with once we were in VR versus is what we were just doing on a traditional 2D plane. Um, versus I think me as a director, I'm a little more one-to-one. Like I'm I'm really working with my concept artists very in-depthly, very closely to the look and the style that I want to see in 3D. Um, because my concept artists, for me, they're really nailing the environments and they're really nailing the characters. So I would rather them do that like one-to-one work in 2D versus getting into 3D with some of my artists in Quill and being like, ah, like there's something weird going on there versus being like, yes, here's the finalized, let's get it as close as possible. And then if there's technical difficulties, we'll just little things here and there.
2: That's super interesting. And I I love seeing like for animations to see, like once you've seen the film, to then see the original concept art. So even on like big productions, like if you see the originals of Mike and Sully from Monsters, Inc. to see the final piece, I just find it so fascinating, like the evolution, like as the projects go, move along.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the point of concept, right? You always start with just some ideas. And then I've definitely, I mean, yes, 100% from the first iteration of Nisa to her final iteration in concept art day and night, but so cool to see how it evolves and how it changes and how it shifts. And so, yes, from from original concept art to final concept art, and then even into final 3D modeling, there's always that like kind of textural change and artistic change and evolution that happens, which is always really fun and incredibly entertaining to look at and see.
0: On a project like this, you've given us a very deep insight into such an intricate and very complex system. I am Pallavi, we work in industry and there are so many different tracks that you have to tick off as you move through each phase, but the way you have described it within this VR context and the limitation around the actual size of the project having to be so small, that is really a feat in itself, let alone introducing a whole narrative and then making it something that's very cinematic and beautiful to look at and then keeping it true to the story. So congratulations to you and the team for bringing this to life and bringing it to audiences. Based on what has been shown and those who have viewed it so far, have you had any feedback that's made you think about what could potentially be next for your upcoming and future projects?
1: Well, with Reimagined, I think there's this like overwhelming pressure for me as the um, volume two director to like create and build a piece. That is can stand uh, alongside of Nisa as a companion anthology series. So definitely feeling a little bit of that uh, because Nisa is just so incredible and Julie just did such an amazing job. So yeah, I'm just like neck deep in production right now for my volume and just really trying to collaborate with my artists and really trying not to put the pressure on myself to make a project as great as Nisa, but just make a project that is authentically what I want to do. And then, I think in my personal other projects, I work very closely with Games for Change. I'm currently um, transitioning into being their head of XR. And in that world, um, it's really about building the ecosystem of XR for social impact. It's really about thinking about the funding models, the impact campaign models, working with projects that are already finished and very well known, like Goliath playing with reality or The Choice, which is about abortion and really helping them uh, really helping them um, break through the market of not just like, oh, a film festival circuit, but actually getting something deeper and wider, like getting their project to certain places like the Veterans Association or to Planned Parenthood and really help mobilize those experiences on a big scale. Um, and then also just building out the strategy of what we want social impact XR to look like. What is the talent pool of impact producers? What is the talent pool of creators and directors who have an impact-focused mindset? What is the ethical barriers of those? What is the ethical learning of that? And so really, again, just building out that ecosystem through programs and initiatives that I'm I'm looking at and running and producing. So um, that's where I'm at personally. Where like I get to I get to escape into my creative self or reimagined, and then. I really pull myself out of um, my director creative head into more of like my ecosystem building and systems building head and really think about, you know, what what change do I want to see in this industry? I can be a part of the people who constantly complain and get frustrated by that industry, or I can also be a part of uh, a hopeful um, step forward in a positive way for that industry to feel more supported and feel like there's a real um, level of, community and integration and seeing ourselves really as a true industry. Because a lot of times with social impact and documentary, we're often, I think, on the fringes of XR instead of feeling like we can stand on our own two feet within XR
0: astonishing and to reiterate what you are doing is exactly that bringing this important conversation to the mainstream but keeping it very true and um, delivering it in such a way that it's really compelling it's so nourishing on the eye to see something like Nusa and to hear about what your ambitions are for the future Palavi, was there anything else you wanted to ask before we get you Michaela to share what our listeners and anyone else can do for you for your projects and um, moving forward how to keep in touch with you
2: all my questions have been thoroughly answered this has been like a super chat so yeah over to you Michaela
1: I'm an open door. I'm an open resource. I never like to think of myself as a gatekeeper in any way, shape or form. So if there's someone out there listening who is interested in shadowing or interested in learning more or interested in getting involved in the work that I do, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, My email is hello at MichaelaHolland.com. You can also contact me through my website, which is MichaelaTernaskiHolland.com. I'm very easy also to get a hold of on social media. So my Instagram, MichaelaTernaskiHolland and And then the one thing that's different is my Twitter, which is I'm Michaela TH because my full name is too long for a Twitter handle. But yeah, like I really I really encourage anyone out there who may feel a little bit intimidated by this world of XR or intimidated by this idea of getting involved, whether you wanna get involved at a social impact level or a totally different level, please don't be intimidated. This industry is really the digital reality industry, right? There's a physical reality and there's a digital reality. And so this industry needs everybody it needs lawyers it needs creatives it needs engineers it needs scientists it needs subject matter experts it needs academics it needs researchers like it doesn't matter who you are where you come from what your background is if you're interested in getting involved don't hesitate because our industry needs you and your talent and your skill set if it's something you're interested in in lending to building this new idea of what the digital reality is. And honestly, if you want to be the change that you see in the world, if you want to be a part of a movement that is more inclusive, more equitable, that can be not colonized, um, I highly recommend getting involved in this digital reality industry because this is sort of the, the new world of like where we're going to be putting a lot of our time and energy. And so... I want to see people with Indigenous background, I want to see people of African descent being here and making sure that their voices are heard and their design aesthetics are seen and their ideas around making things more accessible or more equitable are a part of the building blocks, not just as the way of uh, reconciling with the issues that were never addressed before. So yeah, I mean whether you're a woman, whether you have LGBTQ background, whether you identify as male or female or whatever, like you can come get involved in this industry. Um, There's amazing forums. Like I've already mentioned, Discord, Slack, Facebook groups. Um, I'm happy to start with an email to me and hopefully I can point you in the right direction.
0: Michaela I have never had so far a guest close out our podcast episode so well there's nothing that I can add to that except thank you for such a meaningful masterclass it set me up to contemplate on a better tomorrow
2: yeah it's really cool to see the stuff that you've done already and the stuff that you're going to do I'm very excited to see your part of the trilogy and yeah and the third one as well when it comes out
1: thank you yeah I really appreciate all these kind words I I, thank you um I, i'm very humbled and um thank you for having me today and thank you for taking time to listen to me and my story and you know things i'm passionate about and that's it for this
0: episode of culture in the craft podcast we thank michaela and palaby for joining us here and we look forward to you being with us listening to us another time take very good care